It's a highlight of my morning right there when we play that song on Friday mornings. It means we're talking to Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. And uh, I had a sobering experience yesterday. I spent more than two hours listening to that presentation on the residential school and the findings there in Kamloops. It was not the kind of news experience we're used to. We're used to getting news in small doses, and this one was exhaustive, but, you know, sobering and fascinating at the same time. Right, I understand that the fascinating part had to do with the technical aspects of what they were explaining. Yes, when this story was originally reported, and look, it galvanized the world's attention and uh, brought this issue to the forefront for many Canadians, but for people around the world, um, the initial impression we had was that they had found 250, the graves of 215 children, the unmarked graves. So um, the, the technical briefing was fascinating because the professor from the University of uh, Fraser Valley, Sarah Bolio, who who did the work, explained very carefully what she learned and what we still don't know. And, you know, I think... The, the the main thing that came out is there is no question that there are the remains of children on that site. We knew that, and no question that it is, her estimate is 200. But at the same time, she explained that it was a survey done with ground-penetrating radar. There was a whole PowerPoint on this. It's fascinating stuff, really, um, and uh, chilling, <laughs> but fascinating. Uh, you know, she explained what, what ground-penetrating radar can tell you is, yeah, there's probably uh, human remains there. And from the size of the, of the spot, you can say it's probably children. And from, of course, the testimony of survivors of the residential school system, we knew very well that that is likely where the children were buried. So we have all that. But the other thing, of course, that came out is what remains to be done. In order to get a precise number on the human remains at that site, um, they've only looked at two of the 160 acres of the former residential school. They have only, uh, it would take for excavation forensic examination, and DNA tracing to specifically identify which child is in which place and all that. So there's a lot more to be done. And again, Simi, we heard it yesterday. This is only one of, what, 140 residential schools in Canada. And from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, we know there are probably human remains, remains of children at the site of all of them. And a lot of the discussion, too, is about, well, how do we move forward? What do we do next? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, several of the things that were said yesterday are, um, you know, I I think will happen. The first is uh, First Nations are looking for the federal government, the churches, and the provincial government to weigh in and commit to making all of the information available, all of the records available, And if First Nations want it to fund this kind of investigation at every site. So all of that is there. And I I think the reaction of Premier John Horgan on this was, yeah, we're here waiting. Tell us what you want. We're not going to tell you what we're going to do. It's, you know, it's essentially up to you uh, to decide and then ask and we'll be there to help. So that's one thing. I, one thing that that stood out to me, there were some very gripping testimonials yesterday, Simi, from 
survivors of residential schools. And, and one of those people said her view is leave it alone. Uh, make it a memorial, you know, uh, don't ignore it, uh, but essentially don't disturb it either. And I've heard a, a suggestion as well that this is going to cost a lot. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a historical shame for Canada, so I don't think we should balk at paying the bill. But one suggestion that's been made is uh, spend the money on the living. There are a lot of First Nations communities in Canada that don't have decent drinking water. Uh, that, Still, you know, I know, shocking. And, and, and memorials. So memorials, yes. Uh, do it if that's what the First Nation wants, but also let First Nations decide how to proceed because what a mess we've made by telling them what to do and exactly. how to run their lives. Exactly. Okay, so more to come on that. Also wanted to get an update from you, too, on this whole cruise ship situation, because we've talked about this extensively, that the federal government, it sounds like, did listen, but is it going to help the industry in the short term? Well, you know, this has got more to do with the coming federal election than it does with a solution to this problem. The announcement yesterday is, uh, which is, uh, they're, they're advancing the date when cruise ships are welcome back in Canadian waters. So originally it was February 28th of next year. It's now November the 1st. Now, one wanted to be crass. One could point out that that November the 1st, the cruise ship season will be over uh, on the Alaska run in British Columbia. So that season is now confirmed to be lost. Uh, nevertheless, I mean, people were saying yesterday, uh, the Victoria Harbor Authority, the uh, local tourism industry, the mayor of Victoria, said, oh, this is great, you know, it's it's welcome. Yeah, it is. Uh, the industry is saying it's welcome. It's a step in the right direction. But there's still a couple of things we don't know. And the first, of course, Simi, is... Uh, is what are the rules uh, when the season yeah. resumes? I mean, essentially what we're talking about is that Canada will work with the United States to make sure we have the same health protocols, which is a good thing because you don't want people, you know, being allowed on a ship in Seattle, but they can't get off the ship in Victoria because the rules are different. So we're talking about the next season and whether or not people will book for it and what will be the rules. We don't know those yet. That's not sorted out. The other problem is the legislation in the U.S. So the current legislation that is allowing the ships running out of Seattle to Alaska to skip Victoria, Vancouver, and B.C. ports, that expires. That is only temporary. That's the one the Alaskans put forward, and that's only temporary, and that will expire. But um, there's a piece of legislation in the U.S. Senate brought in by a senator from uh, Utah, Mike Lee, which would like to make the exemption permanent. It would allow ships operating out of U.S. ports to skip Canada altogether and run back and forth, say, from Seattle to Alaska or Los Angeles to Alaska or any U.S. port to Alaska and not have to stop in Canada. That legislation, uh, well, you know, it's been endorsed as by the Wall Street Journal, I see, has said it's a good idea because uh, the the requirement to stop in Canadian ports doesn't really help the United States in any way that's demonstrable. It simply um, ensures that, you know, Canada benefits from a, a U.S.-based industry. So will this be enough to head off that being passed permanently? Um, Canada hopes so, and so does British Columbia. But, you know, the the... <laughs> 
it, it's hard to credit the federal government for what they did yesterday, Simi. They were warned about this exactly. by the Alaskans back in February, right? This is a, a belated response, is the best you can say about it. Yeah, that's so true. All right, Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.